Yeah, somebody gave me a helpful def definition of a, uh, a retired Christian. Not retired, but refired. Do you like that? Refired. So there we are. So, um, well, it's, a, it's an enormous privilege to be able to step up to um, the, the lectern here and um, to be able to bring God's word to you, to us all, to myself. Um, when you're preparing, you know, this sermon, but you're looking back at yourself as much as bringing it to the congregation and trusting that, that the Lord will use this. I um, have to confess that um, I, it just struck me this morning, <clears throat> what's it, 2022, and um, I, uh, that, I've been preaching as a lay preacher, as a young man on conversion, just short about 50 years. So, mm -hmm. and, and then... I'm going to confess to you, I feel nervous. <laughs> so, Richard, thank you for the prayer. Let's turn our thoughts to prayer, and then we're going to read, I'm going to read this passage that we're going to think about this morning. God's word. So let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we're very mindful that uh, we're in need of you, in need of your grace every second of every day. And we thank you, Lord, when you wake us in the night hours and touch us and remind us about something of which we must pray, someone that we need to lift up to you in prayer. We thank you for the fellowship that you bring to us, this remarkable, uh, almost we can't describe without, with words. Words are just wholly inadequate to explain what it means to be in fellowship with with you, our thrice holy God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and that you should desire, you should want to be in fellowship with us. So, Lord, we pray now that as we read your holy word, your infallible word, pray that you'd be with us in the hearing of that, and also as we proclaim and explain that you'd be with both preacher and hearer alike, to glorify you. That is our desire. That is our longing. That is our heart's burden, our life's desire, O oh God, to lift up the name of the Lord Jesus so all can see and hear and be drawn to him. So be with us, each and every one, we ask, in the precious and the peerless name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So if you have your Bibles with you, I've... Uh, <coughs> My default uh, translation is the NIV, I have to confess, but uh, I have printed off the uh, ESV um, so that we'll read from there. So if you've got a church Bible, turn to Luke chapter 7, and we're going to read that account of uh, Jesus being anointed by a sinful woman. And uh, just thinking about um, this passage, and uh, sometimes you're thinking of what, what do we label it, what do we call it? Um, struggled with that one, uh, you know, and just ended up by saying, look, what we're going to have a look at this morning is what is the nature of divine love? Divine love and forgiveness. And what does that mean for us? So Luke chapter 7 and verse 36. And I think in the ESV it comes out, the title for this, uh, this passage is A Sinful Woman Forgiven. Luke 7, 36, one of the Pharisees 
asked him, that was Jesus, to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii. That's a denarii being about a day's wage, so you can work it out for yourself. It's what? Um, a couple of years salary, a couple of years wage, isn't it? And the other 50, a couple of months. And when they could not pay, he cancelled the debt of both. <clears throat> now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he cancelled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she's wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. But from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You didn't anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the ta at table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. <clears throat> now, we're going to come in a little while to this, this place of table of remembrance, remembering Jesus. This is the, 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 the second person of the Trinity asking you and I to remember him. Isn't that awesome? Sometimes when we, we go off when Sue goes off to work, you know, I, I, I get her to, where has she gone? There she is. I get her to ring me when she gets to, um, where is it, Sue? Swineshead. Yeah, just to know she's safe, you know, and I, she remembers. <laughs> and, uh, and I need that, and I need to know that she's got safely to work. So usually either she or I, we ring each other, and I know that she's safe. Remembering. Jesus, the Son of God, asks you and I to remember him. Remember me. I think it was the, the Scottish novelist and dramatist, James M. Barry, uh, who died just before the Second World War, actually the creator of Peter Pan. If you, know, if you don't know James, Bar uh, James Barry, you've surely heard of Peter Pan. And he said, a bit out of date this, but God, is, God gave us memories so that we might have roses in December. 
Those were the days. Everything in its season. <laughs> and memory, for each of us, of course, can be our greatest asset or our greatest weakness. And we cling to bad memories and forget really precious moments, don't we? Until perhaps a photograph is seen. We tie knots in handkerchiefs, put notes in our pockets or diaries to remind us of what must not be forgotten. In a few months' time, each November, certain words will be spoken soberly and thoughtfully up and down the country, simple, powerful, poignant words, full of pathos, full of longing, lest we forget. People long since buried will be remembered with moving affection and tears, and a nation, even much of the world, will stand still in affecting and awed silence, and for a brief while, remember. Strident voice may ring out in the chambers of the Houses of Parliament. Has the learned minister forgotten? Then followed by a tirade which is designed to remind, and perhaps deservedly so, of some past unfortunate practice or ill-advised words. Some people, you see, just won't let others forget what they have done in the past. And by their not forgetting, they tell us all that they've certainly not forgiven either. And the Christian message at heart is one of God wishing to deal with our pasts in order to gift to us a today and a tomorrow worth remembering. God wants us to enjoy his forgiveness, have our past dealt with, the ugly things wiped away, the memory given a remedy for the guilt about the past and a tonic to improve the future. And God's provision is not a formula. It's this person, Jesus. It's him. It's Jesus. The Lord Jesus. And this is what this story tells us too. But we understand that it isn't always this way with everyone. And it may not even be this way for us because some can't forget and they certainly won't forgive. Following hard on the heels of Jesus explaining about John the Baptist where Luke tells us in verse 30 of this same chapter that the Pharisees rejected God's purpose for them because they had not been baptized by John. The Christian believes that a leopard can, with God's help, change its spots. But we find to our amazement one such leopard, one of these same Pharisees, who had rejected God's purposes for them, inviting Jesus to tea and the Lord going. Such grace. You can't help but see grace all the time, can you? And the context of the passage helps us to see this Pharisee as one of those fault finders. And we therefore have to admit to not a little amazement that this one had the audacity to ask Jesus into his home. He didn't have to do it. It was clearly as, as far as Simon the Pharisee would go or as far as his friends could push him. Verse 49 tells us that although until now it seems there might only be Jesus, Simon and this woman, uh, that there were actually a number of other guests who witnessed everything. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? The dilemma for this man was that though he was a Pharisee and therefore unable for fear of his colleagues to be seen going out of his way to be hospitable, nevertheless he was curious. 
He suspects that Jesus might well be a prophet, and so he ought to own him in some way. What he does is what we call sitting on the fence, taking a middle course. But the trouble with trying to walk down the middle of the road is that one day you're going to get... It's interactive, this, by the way. <laughs> you're going to get run over, yeah? And he decides anyway to forget about the rules of Middle Eastern hospitality. It would be easier for him to offend this would-be prophet than his fellow religious leaders. And the denial of such basic hospitality was an appalling slight and insult. And yet Jesus only mentions it because he comes to the defense of this poor woman, this injured leopard. This woman who, whatever she'd done in the past, was a changed person and was now able to worship with such tenderness for the very first time in her life. I wonder, I'm sure we all do, I wonder who or what had put her off seeking God before, who had not come to her aid when she needed someone most to stand with her in her desperation. What good had Israel's religious leaders been for her? Had they shown a merciful God to her by the way they conducted their own lives? They had not only prevented anybody other than the Jews from hearing about a gracious God, but actually now were being highly selective of who could be considered for the kingdom of God, even amongst their own. Let me read you some verses from Matthew 23, verse 23 on. Jesus speaking, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former, you blind guides. You strain out a gnat, but swallow a camel. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside also will be clean. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside but on the inside are full of dead men's bones and everything unclean in the same way. On the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. And this Pharisee, this Simon, just couldn't forget what he knew this woman was guilty of. Surely this leopard can never change her spots. Of course not. He couldn't forget and he could not forgive. You see, his memory was seared with vivid pictures of what she had done. He would feel dirty and vile himself if he were to speak to her, let alone touch her or be touched by her. And here was this Jesus accepting her worship, her fawning, her uncontrolled emotion. What would she do next? If only somebody would remove her from his house, his home. Goodness, what if his friends should hear about this? <clears throat> Not only Jesus in his home, but now this woman too. He hadn't bargained on this, had he? 
He had conveniently forgotten or sanitized his memory about, for instance, the curious Old Testament figure of faith, Rahab, the prostitute. Simon couldn't forget because he couldn't forgive. And he couldn't forgive because he didn't know the character of the very God he professed to serve himself, a God who loved mercy, a God who loved to forgive. As the prophet Micah records uh, these words about our God in uh, Micah 7 verse 18, who is a God like you who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. You see, the whole history of Israel was one of their falling constantly and heavily into sin and of God delivering them. How could Simon forget? And how could he not forgive? And what about us? What of us? Do we too expect God to forgive us things that we refuse others? We may recall Jesus' very powerful and incisive words as recorded by Matthew in chapter 18, verse 35 referring to divine judgment for precisely this kind of hypocrisy and stubbornness. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. So, firstly, some can't forgive, some can't forget rather and won't forgive. But secondly, others know forgiveness and they can't forget it is quite probable that every one of us here this morning can remember one or more kindnesses done by someone to us. And if we stopped for a while, I, I doubt whether there would be a single person in this room couldn't recount something, kindness, that had been done to us. And of course, those memories are pleasant. Pleasant memories, aren't they? We smile, our hearts are touched, we're warmed, we become emotional again about it. Um, these times come easily to mind when the person's name is mentioned. And we think of that person with greater respect and affection than we did so before. Those flowers left on the doorstep with a note which speaks simply but actually volumes about care and love and that we matter. Something that I remember a brother appearing on our, our, at our front door because of a tragedy, knocked on the door, and I could see who it was through the bottled glass. My dear friend, Stuart, and um, he'd come to express his sorrow. The tears were streaming down his face, and his mouth was opening and shutting without a sound coming out. He couldn't, he was so choked with uh, feeling that he couldn't speak, but the tears said everything. I shall never, we shall never forget that. So the flowers on the doorstep, a note which simply speaks about caring for you. And we need it, don't we? Or perhaps it's an anniversary, remembered when everyone else seems to have forgotten. If we could, we'd return the kindness that they showed to us, given the chance, Sometimes when the chance to do good to that particular person comes our way, we're under such pressure we feel we can ill afford to spend the time that is necessary in order to return their kindness and in a way that is meaningful for them. 
We'd rather that it had come at a more convenient time for us. Do we need to put ourselves out to do the kindness in return? Our shoulders shrug. We think of what is right to do, and when the inner struggle is really resolved, we either act or we decide not to. In our story this morning, we have a woman who has clearly led a life that caused acute embarrassment for Simon, if not for all who knew her. Her story doesn't have to be shouted out from the rooftops, for it seems highly probable that she'd made prostitution her career out of necessity or indulgence. We don't know. Whatever was her past, at some point Jesus had met with her and the conversation that flowed had changed her life, changed her perspective on life, changed her values, changed her aspirations, her dreams, her self-esteem. It changed everything for her. Nothing remained unchanged. That much seems absolutely clear. So I ask the question, how is it for us today? Has our initial meeting with the Lord Jesus faded into the mists of time and our obedience to his words similarly? Have they faded into our distant memory or are our second and our third and all our meetings just as vivid, if not more so, than the first, as formative, as memorable, as life-changing as that first time? And while Jesus, my friend, forgives you and me, the Pharisee, lets your sin fester forever in his mind. That's the Pharisee. And when the Pharisee, whoever that might be, condemns and judges you and I, Jesus gently but firmly rebukes him as a sinner too, and then, speaking to him, then forgives her. And forgives her. So I ask, does your heart, does your heart still leap at the mention of his name? Or have we grown cold to his calling and his presence? We need to answer these questions, don't we? The Pharisee will think nothing of trampling over and over the man or woman who is already in humanity's gutter, whereas Jesus will offer anything that will help, his hand to stand, his love to restore self-esteem, healing for wholeness, full forgiveness for the futility of the Pharisee. There's a, a true story of uh, a 22-year-old um, young woman of astonishing beauty, so it's said, who had descended into prostitution in uh, Cincinnati in U the USA. She was, in her day, highly educated and from a well-to-do family, as they say, and with impeccable manners. And her young life was spent in this way, and she died uh, in the depths of winter without a single friend, broken-hearted, and a social outcast. So here are two verses from a poem entitled Beautiful Snow. She wrote, the manuscript of which was found upon her death. Once, she writes, I was as pure as the snow, but I fell. Fell like the snowflake from heaven to hell. Fell to be trampled as filth in the street. Fell to be scoffed, to be spat on and beat. 
pleading, cursing, dreading to die, selling my soul to whoever would buy, dealing in shame for a morsel of bread, hating the living and fearing the dead. Merciful God, have I fallen so low, and yet I was once like the beautiful snow. How strange it should be that this beautiful snow should fall on a sinner with nowhere to go. How strange it should be when night comes again if the snow and the ice struck my desperate brain, fainting, freezing, dying alone, too wicked for prayer, too weak for a moan, to be heard in the streets of this crazy town, gone mad in the joy of snow coming down, to lie and to die in my terrible woe with a bed and a shroud of the beautiful snow. And we should be reminded of the deep and heartfelt concern of this same Jesus. Matthew records that in chapter 9, when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed, harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. So he said to disciple, his disciples, the, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. But we need to ask ourselves, have we at least met him? Have we met him? Is the memory of that encounter a hugely affectionate one, or are we embarrassed today? Are we Simon, unsure of, about how to respond? Cautious for fear of what so-called friends might say. Quick to criticise and judge anyone and everyone. Are we perhaps this woman? Are we overcome by his grace and love and forgiveness yet again for us? Do the thoughts of others bother us anymore when all that matters is the verdict of God on our lives? You see, if Jesus had not put himself out as he did, not only to meet, but talk, share, and almost certainly laugh and cry with her over her tale, she would never have heard. She was forgiven, and she could not forget. It was not just the forgiveness that she couldn't forget. Let's get this straight. But it was evidently this man, this prophet, this Messiah, this Jesus. It was Jesus she could not forget. Not just what had happened to her, it was him. And I ask that question again, is this how it is for us? It was not only God's instrument for her forgiveness, but she too knew in the moment of her forgiveness that this Jesus was God. The words he spoke, the gentleness, the understanding, the lack of any sense of condemnation of her was striking. It was different. Yes, it was godlike. And she knew, and it mattered, and he changed everything for her. Do you remember that time when the temple guards were sent out by the, by the Sanhedrin to go and arrest Jesus? Do you remember that? In John 7, verse 45 and 6, it says this, Finally, the temple guards went back to the chief priests and Pharisees, who asked of them, Why didn't you bring him in? Never forget these words. Verse 46, No one ever spoke the way 
this man does. The guards declared, no one. No one ever spoke the way this man does. And this, my friends, surely is the Christian's testimony, isn't it? Is it yours? Be encouraged. It can be. Be encouraged. Yes, it should be. His was a genuine love, a love that cared nothing for what men and women might say of him, what whispers were going the rounds because of who he fraternized with, who he spoke to. There were no pretensions here, no heavily disguised desire for publicity, no seeking of acclaim, just her welfare, just her restoration, just giving time to her in her obvious need. This is how he was. This, my friends, is how he is. And this is how we should be. You remember uh, Jonathan, Pastor Jonathan, speaking last week, and he was telling us that the children of the kingdom must mirror the, char the character of the king. The children of the kingdom must mirror the character of the king. That's what he reminded us of. That's what's going on here, isn't it? But, you know, this kind of love provokes love in return. When she heard that her Lord was again in town, <clears throat> she hardly had time to catch her breath. So keen was she to express her gratitude. No doubt she had thought easily and with affection of what she could do for him uh, when he next came near. But here was her chance. And now is also our chance. Now is your chance. Here he is again. He's here. You are here. I'm here. He knows it. He knows you and he wants you to come to him. What will you do? What will we do? What can you do? What can we do? Her resolve to remain in control of herself evaporated as uh, she once more saw him. And all those pent-up feelings overwhelmed her and she'd been intent on simply anointing his feet. Of course, it was not her place to do anything other than deal with his feet, be at his feet, like the place of the servant, the slave, fall at his feet. And though the tears fell freely and abundantly, yet she still allowed her focus to remain just there, just at the feet of the Lord Jesus. Some of you may remember a singer called, uh, and I'm looking towards the older generation, <laughs> Burl Ives, do you remember him? Oh, yes, there we are. Yeah. He used to sing a song about the parting of the ways between two people in love. And one of the memorable lines says this. You could probably sing it, I think. A little bitty tear let me down. Do you remember it? How does it go? A little bitty tear let me down. It spoiled my act as a clown. I had it made up not to make a frown. But a little bitty tear let me down. And this, this occasion that we're looking at, this was far from a parting of the ways, but a reunion of a forgiving saviour and a sinner who could not forget. Her cry was more that of Orpheus in Gluck's uh, Orphea ed Eurydice, and that wonderful English contralto, Kathleen Ferry, is still known today for singing those memorable lines. What is life to me without thee? What is life if thou aren't there? These were the sentiments of the woman, of this forgiven woman. And they may be yours today as we approach this time when we think about Jesus saying, 
remember me. Remember me. Wondering what we should do. What should we do? This kind of commitment, this kind of love, finds it hard to maintain such resolve. This woman couldn't help herself, and in the end, it didn't really matter what others saw, didn't matter who witnessed it. Maybe we should all be asking ourselves what form our own resolve for Jesus takes. Is it actually the kind that remains steadfastly unmoved by his presence? Or do our own hearts miss a beat when we know we shall meet him, when we know he is there, when we know he's walking with us through life? This woman in our story was forgiven, and she could not forget. She could more easily forget her past life than she, forget, she could forget him. So I ask that question again, which are we today? Are we Simon? Or are we this lovely woman today? Have we been forgiven and have we forgotten what it was like? More significantly, have we forgotten what he is like? Is it burning in our hearts to recover what we know we've lost? Do we love him like this? He is the same today as he's always been, and he will forgive you, though you feel your sin to be unforgivable. He will forgive you. Will you come to him today also? So some can't forget and won't forgive. Others know forgiveness and can't forget. But Christ will forgive so that we can forget. What was important for this woman was not just her past, and what she had come from, but what her future was. What mattered above all was for her was Jesus. He'd revealed who God was to her, what kind of God he was. Not the God of Simon, not the one who kept a record of wrongs, never forgot anything so he could remind us time and again in order to subdue us, to control us, to manipulate us. But God was suddenly and actually on her side. He was for her and not against her. God had become her God, and she knew it, and she loved him. It mattered to her, and it should matter to us today, too. Will you come to him? So often, we are also guilty of falling into the very same sin of which Simon was guilty, saying that God actually is just like us. He harbors grudges. When he says that we're forgiven, he's acting deceitfully because at the first opportunity, he will surely remind us, he will surely ensure that the full horror of what we were and how we acted comes back vividly into our minds and probably everyone else's too. Simon, you see, had made sure that there were witnesses to whatever happened while Jesus was there. He could have, but he didn't, seek a private audience. Nor did he intend to show love to Jesus, not even the slightest respect. Only curiosity, only resentment, only caution, only bigotry pervaded his being. And though Jesus knew all this, still he went. In the face of that obduracy, that difficulty, still he went. And we ask the question, why? Why did he go? Well, he went because he loved even Simon. Simon, with all his difficulties, with all his bentness, with all his wrongness, he went. He went because he wanted to reveal the true character of God, even to Simon. He wanted to give him a chance, too. 
and he wants to give us. He wants to give you this chance also today. There can be no one on this earth. That's what this story tells us, isn't it? No one on this earth. No one in our communities. No one in our churches that we can sidestep and still remain obedient to Jesus' story, to his command to take the gospel to people where they are. That is no disgrace. This is God's grace. I remember when uh, a story being told when I was at, uh, at Spurgeon's uh, those years ago about a Baptist church, shame on them, um, over on the west of London, right on the edge. I won't mention the name. <laughs> um, but one of theirs was there in college with me. That's how I knew. And uh, they're a very fabulously wealthy church. And, uh, and they sent a prodigious amount of money up to Liverpool and up to the, the homeless areas and, and uh, the, the people all around Liverpool. They would send money to do things. And this um, Christian brother told me, why didn't they just spend the money on the homeless around them? It's so easy, in a sense, to put your hand in the pocket and give. There was need right in front of their faces, and they did not respond to that. We are commanded to. The grace of God is shown so clearly here. Jesus was never going to mention this woman's past because it wasn't relevant anymore. She was restored. She knew forgiveness, God's unconditional forgiveness, not men and women's forgiveness for now until you do it again. Yeah? Christ's forgiveness is of the type which is overwhelming. It does clear the way for the hope of a future, a new beginning, a fresh start, and this is a promise for us today and for tomorrow. It's a promise we must carry to others his forgiveness helps us to forget the past that needed a remedy. The present, which carries with it still so much conflict for many, that is difficult to bear, so much sorrow for many that is not easily shared. What he gives to us is not just forgiveness. If that were the end of the story, it would be pitifully inadequate. No more than we could lay claim to because of Jesus, yes, but still so pitifully short of the hope that actually delivers people from despair. But Jesus' forgiveness, forgiveness does just that. It does deliver. He comes up with the goods every time because he loves you. What was that advert that used, used, they used to say? Was it um, Jennifer Aniston, I think, talking about her shampoo or something like that, because I'm worth it, she would say. <laughs> and that's what the Lord is trying to say to every one of us this morning. Come to me. Let me make that difference in your life. Comes up, to, up with the goods every time. His love for you, whether you think of yourself as a Simon or this woman, is no less diminished. So will you, will we, Respond to him this morning as we come to this table. Do you know what it is to be forgiven? Do you know what it is to know the forgiveness that only Jesus offers? The forgiveness that satisfied, satisfies because, because it's born of love. Forgiveness without this is nothing. Forgiveness without this means nothing. It is nothing. But with God it is real. It is lasting. Life-changing. And it's for you.
because he is for you, not against you. He helps us to deal with the past and the now and gives to us a future. So let us come to him in thankfulness and pray. Let's pray. <clears throat> Our loving Lord and Heavenly Father, we, we haven't got enough words or even feeling to be able to express the wonder of your grace in the Lord Jesus. And we, like that friend of ours of old, can only stand with tears dripping from our eyes and our mouths opening and shutting at the wonder of your grace. But what, with what words we have, we praise you. With what sentiments are there in our hearts bubbling over, we give you praise. We ask you to help us, perhaps in our unbelief, fan into flame the, the flicker of the wick that is smoldering. Fan it into flame, Lord, in us, so that we may be children of the kingdom, revealing the character of the king. Grant this to us, Lord, we pray. In your precious name we ask. Amen. Amen.